Our scripture reading is Romans chapter 12, if you would turn there. Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another." Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Darren Harrison knew that he was going to die if he didn't do something quickly. The pilot, the pilot of the small plane that he was in had passed out and the plane was in a dive towards the ocean. And he thought, I'm going to have to land this plane because there is no other option. And despite having zero experience, he landed the plane at Palm Beach International Airport in Florida just a couple of weeks ago. The passenger became the crew. And he said, as he was interviewed, everybody was asking me, how did the airplane do what it did? How did it stay together? How did it, you pull it out? He said, the hand of God was on that plane. And that's the only thing I can attribute it to, no other explanation for it. Now, if people's church were a plane, you and I are not mere passengers. We are all together crew, and we have responsibilities, and we have expectations that God has laid upon us, and the hand of God is with us. Our text from verse 3 to the end of this chapter really tells us that we are crew together and how do we relate to one another? How do we get along? We are so different. We come from different stratas of society, different backgrounds, different origins, different families of origins, and yet here we are to worship Jesus Christ this morning, meeting in his name and with his salvation in our hearts, on our lips. How do we get along? Well, he tells us, first of all, that we need to assess ourselves realistically. He says, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Sober judgment. Now, this was important in Rome because mostly it was Gentile converts with some Jewish converts, but they, the Gentile Romans tended to look down on the Jewish converts. And he says here, using this word sober judgment, that is uh, sort of an intoxication is possible. One says this, that they were in danger of becoming egoholics, <laughs> obsessed with themselves, thinking too much about themselves. It's easy to do in our society, our selfie society, isn't it? Our culture, that we are called to be transformed from by the renewal of our minds. And we can really quickly get out of touch with reality when it comes to our own opinions and about our, our own selves. The psalmist asked God to examine our hearts to see if there be some wicked way in us, realizing God has to be part of that process because, because we can get out of touch with, with reality. 
that we can start thinking that we are to be served rather than to serve, that we are to be catered to, that we are to be cared for, that we are to be celebrated, sort of like as a passenger on a plane waiting for the refreshments to be brought to them. And it's easy to fall into that pattern for any one of us. Helping out in church, in the body of Christ, is not beneath us, nor is it above us. It is expected, in fact, is a defining mark of our actual conversion to Jesus Christ. And we are equipped for it, he tells us in this text. Sports events are interesting things. The team is on the field and the fan is up in the stand and, or watching the TV or yelling at the TV if he's a Leafs fan, apparently. <laughs> uh, and some fans think that they know better than... They know what's wrong. If people would just listen to them, they, they could call the plays and everything would be awesome. There was a term coined for this sort of thinking called Monday morning quarterbacking, right? To describe the fans who on Monday morning at work would rehash the sporting event and explain how things should have been and how they could have been. But then they are not on the field, are they? You are on the field in the Church of Christ. You are crew. And we need each other. He says in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one another. And then he talks about different gifts expressed within the congregation within the body. If prophecy, he says, if service, serving, teaching, exhortation, he says, giving, leading, mercy, all of these wonderful gifts. Here in Romans 12, Romans, or 1 Corinthians 12 gives another list, and Ephesians 4, another list of different ways that we live out our relationship and our service to the Lord within the body of Christ. We need each other. We have different functions according to the measure of his gifting. And that's stressed here. It's God-given, God-created abilities. We don't generate them from our own awesomeness. If we think that we're so, so much better than everyone else and we can do this and this and this. No, they are God-given. And they are to be used amongst the church family. Different functions, different gifts, but one body in Christ. Members of one another, he says. And then he says this wonderful phrase in verse 6. Do you see it? Let us use them. Let us use them. Oh, if God's given them to you, what a sad thing if you don't participate, if you don't help share the load with what God has equipped you for. If you have no ministry that you can think of, 
Let us use them, he says. We're not to have an inflated opinion about ourselves and deflated opinions of other people. This is the opposite of being critical and complaining. We need each other and you are needed. And if you find that you're not helping, if you are on the fringe of the church, if you are perhaps in the stands or sitting in the passenger seat in first class, there is opportunity for you to prove your faith in Christ, to get out of first class, and to take on the crude position expected by the Lord, gifted by the Lord, equipped by the Lord. If you don't have a church ministry, if you don't have something to tie you in service, I mean, you're in great danger. Studies show that you're in danger of falling away from the faith, of becoming critical and complaining of others who are on the field or piloting the plane. Our text moves us on to a very concise group of ethical expectations, again, how to get along with one another to function well as the body of Christ. And he gives us a great many here. It's sort of a crew training guide, a crew relation guide. In verse 9 and following, he starts off, he says, let love be genuine. That is not fake or, or not sentimental, actually, when, because he follows it up by saying, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. That is, your love needs to be glued to what is good. It's no good saying, just, just love them, just love them. If they're doing something wrong, it's more loving to point out to them God's will and purpose for their life and, and where they need to repent. That's genuine love, you see. It's, it's, it's glued to what is good. And then he says brotherly love, showing affection, honor, fighting that impulse to lift ourselves up and instead seeing other people lifted up. Your fellow Christians honored and he says, active, not lazy. Do not be slothful in zeal. Eager in the things of the Spirit. Be fervent in spirit. That is literally boiling over. Boiling over. The pot's boiling over with, with excitement and, and eagerness for the Lord Jesus. And then he says, serving the Lord. It means so many things in different ways. It means you could be full of encouraging words towards your fellow Christians or well done or I'm so proud of you and God is really using you in wonderful ways and looking for the hope of the resurrection rejoicing in hope he says patient in tribulation <laughs> that is being willing to suffer great graciously and gracefully 
praying continually, giving to others, opening your home to others, hospitality, uh, generosity of, of giving out, and then generosity of bringing in people. Uh, bro- Brother Merv, he, he, in his prayer, as he led us in prayer, mentioned hospitality. And that's such a powerful thing to relate together, bring people into your home. This is where I live. This is who we are. And, and how can we celebrate the Lord's working in our life? How can we grieve together? How can we hurt together? And he'll go on and say rejoicing and weeping. How can we do life together and talk about the Lord when you have people into your home? And he shows us in verse 14 and following, really, when, thing, when conflict comes, how do, you, how do you handle it? How do you handle it in that employee relation guide, so to speak, the crew relationship manual? He says, in verse 16, which is the core of this context, he says, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony. I mean, we love harmony. We hear it sung. We hear it played. We experience it. It's a wonderful thing, harmony. And it's a wonderful thing when in peace and joy and relationships. So much of the conflict that comes into our own life and, and into the world, from whether it's on the macro war or whether it's on the micro, just irritations and hatred, it comes from the idea that we're better than somebody else or somebody begins to think they're better. We're greater, we're more deserving. We're offended. Somebody has done us wrong. And he's telling us here to live in harmony, to choose harmony, being able to cope, being able to cope with different notes interacting with different notes but not accommodating to them to understand others and care for them though you might even disagree with them to still be able to live amongst them and so he says in verse 14 bless don't curse those who persecute you that there's no place for fury there's no place for rage in a christian heart and, and there's so much in our culture wants to get us angry and wants to get us raging. There's no place for that. There's no place for revenge or retaliation. There's no place to call down lightning on other people, whether it be politicians or professors or pundits or just the public. That's the old man's flesh. That's, that's not the new. That's not the transformed nature and the renewing of our mind in Christ Jesus. He says, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. I mean, again, other people being the focus here, not yourself. It's a constant theme in Christianity is to not think too high of ourselves, to have that right assessment of who we actually are and begin to lift others up. When you enter into somebody's life, whoever they are, to that extent that you can rejoice when they rejoice and weep when they weep, you, you've gone deep into their life to do that. You've, you've opened your heart to them. You've taken risks. 
And, and, and what, a, what, a, what a wonderful place to be in, to enter their lives, to enter their problems. And it's, a, it's a place of genuine love. He says, not haughty, associating with the lowly, no place for pride or arrogance or saying these people are beneath me. Not wise in your own eyes again. Giving thought to what is honorable, he says here. Giving thought to what is honorable in the sight of all, verse 17, rather than retaliating. He says in regards to retaliation in verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Never avenge yourself. <laughs> Road rage is a good example of people trying to avenge themselves or saying hurtful words to somebody who's hurt you or wishing them ill at work, or being glad when they, they fail. To the contrary, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. There's a lot of discussion about what that means to heap burning coals on his head. The context says saying that we shouldn't be rude or arrogant or wishing harm to others. We respond in a different way than those around us in our culture. I mean, you know how they respond. You know the, the critical hearts and the the words that they say about people that they don't like or, or things that policies they don't approve of. He's saying here, do exactly the opposite of what the culture does or what the old man used to do in your life. Feed your enemy. Give something to drink to your enemy who's thirsty. And Whatever burning coals means, it most likely contextually is rephrased in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is, you are heaping goodness on the head of the person who is even against you. You are heaping goodness on them. And that is like a burning coal on their head that it will eventually have, they'll have to deal with, have to acknowledge that they can't get away from it. It's burning them. Goodness. It overcomes evil with good. I mean, when you think of the power of love and the power of goodness to overcome evil, it's amazing throughout history. And it's still true in your own relationships, in your own family relationships, to trust this, 
to trust that keep doing what is holy, keep doing what is good for for the, the relative perhaps who has done you harm to, to keep loving and keep waiting and, and behave like the father behaved with his two sons. Jesus lived this out, didn't he? I mean, how he remained silent when I would have screamed injustice. I would have screamed injustice. He remained silent. And he asked the Father to forgive them. Even healing the servant's ear. I mean, what? As they arrested him unjustly. He interacted with the lowest of the low in his culture. He wept, he wept, and he rejoiced. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels of Jesus rejoicing, and Jesus actually enters into the rejoicing of his disciples in almost a humorous way. When he sent out the 72 to evangelize, and they come back and they returned with joy, the scripture says, and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They're just saying, wow, that was amazing ministry that we, uh, so good. And this is what Jesus said to them. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's just like him saying, yes, well done. You did do amazing ministry out there. And he just enters into their rejoicing. And then that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your precious will. How different. And remember James and John? Do you want us to command fire down from heaven and consume them? I want to do that sometimes, I confess. But he turned and rebuked them. And he said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. That is the world's spirit, not a transformed one. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, he said. Well, best before dates are common. If you're like me, you always check them before you drink the milk. And the Lord is coming soon, we expect. And what an opportunity for each of us to be at our best, to reach our best before he comes with his help. You know, we are called to be faithful in Christ (laughs) till we expire, till we die, till we run the race, to endure to the end and be saved. 
And when he asks, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I hope your heart says, with mine, by your grace and mercy, yes, you will find faith if, if we are still here. We are to hold our original confidence in Christ until the end, to hold fast the profession of our faith, to bring that plane in for our landing. And these are indicators all in this chapter of faithful, lasting, preserving Christianity, a best before Christian. And we can't see the heart, but we see the fruit. And he began, if you remember, in verse 1 and 2, really showing worship both inside, in the heart, mind, and, and outside in our bodies as we offer our bodies as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, to do that which is pleasing in his sight, and that inward renewal that we have the mind of Christ, not the mind of our culture. Remember, we began there, that we have a Christ-centric mind, not a cultural-centric mind. And then he's really telling us what it looks like here. From worship, which we do every Sunday in Sunday school, that is a main indicator that you will be a lasting Christian. By the way, if you come to Sunday school, did you know that? Because Sunday school typically involves serious Christians who make that a priority for them and their kids. Uh, and so they tend to be the core of a church who come out to Sunday school. And they tend to endure as Christians, as they're built up in the ministry of the Word of God. And, and the worship service. But also, an enduring, lasting Christian takes responsibility within the body of Christ. Um, they're not going to remain passengers. They're going to be involved, and that's on each of us. No one can make you do that. That's, that's, a, that's a here am I sort of statement. That's something you need to, to address. If, you're, if you don't have a ministry, if you don't have something that you are calling your, your ministry here or through the body in some meaningful way, you are at great risk of falling away. And also a lasting Christian will proactively involve themselves with other Christians. They're going to get into relationship building things. They're going to be hanging around after church, going up for coffee, yes. Building relationships. They're going to be involved in small groups. They're going to be bringing in people into their home. Hospitality. They're going to be expressing that harmony and, and living peaceably with all men. They're going to be expressing that genuine love and peace proactively, um, not waiting to be but, but asked or waiting to be 
to be catered to as a passenger, but you're part of the crew and you're going to take responsibility. This is all very relational. And it's all because of Jesus Christ and saved by the redemption of his body, blood, or the forgiveness of our sins and the resurrection before us. That this has been entrusted to us and that our faith will grow. We're, we're not passengers, we're crew. We're servants of the living God. And we intend together on enjoying to the end. Everyone was asking you, how did the church do what it did? How did it stay together, even during the COVID years? How did it pull out when so many were abandoning their faith? Well, you could answer like that man did. You have evidence here at People's Church to draw from. You will say the hand of God was on us. And that's the only thing we can attribute it to. There's no other explanation for it. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, oh, we pray that we would take your word to heart and that we would assess ourselves honestly and truthfully, that you would be our guide in that. See if there be any wicked way in us. We pray that you would help us to deflate our high opinion of ourselves and look on others with such love and gentleness and peace and be able to lift them up, Lord, as Christ lifted us up. And we pray that all of these wonderful relationship uh, truths that are so different than the world and it's so different than our culture, which is so individual and so success-oriented and so hurtful of others and willing to put others down to get ahead of themselves and so filled with anger and rage that, oh, Lord, that we would not be infected by this culture and that we would trust your word and your spirit in us to bring forth these good things, to love, to live at peace, to be in harmony, and to those even who are against us, whether at work, at school, at high school, or to, to respond with love, to see their needs, and even to meet their needs. We trust you that this is the way of Christ. We see it in his life, and so we trust that and know that that will bear fruit for eternity. And so thank you for our fellowship, Father. And on that day, when our time has come, you are faithful and true, and will see us safely home safely home to the place that Jesus has prepared for us.
And we pray in his name. Amen.